This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome back to Scissors and Scrubs, Halloween edition. I'm Nicole. I'm Laura. And Halloween is my favorite. As you've, if you've listened in the past, you'll know Halloween mm-hmm. is my favorite mm-hmm. time of the year. I did my annual Connors Farm haunted farm mm-hmm. corn maze. You know what irritates me? Yeah. The fucking people that always end up in front of me. They irritate me. Why? Because as it is, the corn maze is so packed. They're not really putting a lot of distance between you and the people in front of you. The groups, yeah. And then the assholes in front of me are videotaping. What? So they're taking, and then they don't want to miss out on a good time. So they're waiting till each one of them goes first. I've had a backup of about 80 people behind me by what? the time the fuck face in front of me finally made it through the, oh, I'm going to tell them I was angry. I was so angry. Yeah, they're filming. They're filming their way through. I was like, no. So it doesn't, there's light and everything right, else. Right. It's bad enough, like, you pay all that money. I would like to, you know, I'm there to get scanned. Yeah. And no, no. This, if I could find the man in that jacket, I would strangle him with it. Um, okay, so I did my haunted fair. It's, it's a rainy, cucky night tonight. Yes, I'd love to be home. And I, spooky season. Yes, it's, it's the season. Mm-hmm. I found a couple of coyotes last night that added to the Halloween feel in my yard. Four of them in my yard. Um, so anyway, today, yes, we're going to cover yet another episode. Surrounded by death. Yes. We're talking about body donations. Um, I am going to kick off with how it started. It's a little bit of um, reiteration from the Burke and Hare episode that we did Mm -hmm. maybe two years ago. I think we did it. At least. I think we did two years ago. It's one of my favorite episodes, Burke and Hare. And we talk about resurrectionists where people, they would snatch bodies from the graves to bring for um, medical schools and stuff. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Laura's going to talk about what actually happens when you donate your body. Mm-hmm. And then I got a little Halloween surprise at the end. I can't wait. Cover a little serial killer. Mm-hmm. One of my faves. Mm-hmm. Not really a serial killer. He's just fucked up. Really? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He really, because he, he only killed like two people. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what he did with what he had, he was very creative. <laughs> okay. So, the use of bodies in education starts in the third century with the Greek school of medicine. Mm-hmm. Herophilus of Chalcedon. I want to be like known from where I'm from. Like Nicole from Revere. Laura of Malden. <laughs> Laura of Malden. Formerly of Malden, now of Stoneham. Yes. Um, so Herophilus of Chalcedon and Erastrastates of Sios were the first doctors to overlook religious, um, moral, and ethical taboos and start performing human dissections for anatomical purposes. Mm-hmm. So they were the first ones to say, we don't give a fuck. We're going to do this. After the death of these two anatomical dissection doctors all these dissections cease other medical schools felt dissection served no purpose Mm -hmm. and that observation was enough we're just going to look at the body see what it does on the outside on the outside we don't need to know we don't need all the intricate no systems because nothing goes wrong on the inside just the outside it would be another 1700 years before this changes the 11th century um (laughs) animal again i did to myself my own handwriting (laughs) 11th century, animal dissection pops up. 1315 sees the first human dissection since the Greek guys at the University of Bologna, also known as the University of Bologna. These dissections, they start drawing huge crowds mm-hmm. and university. so the universities start building these huge anatomical theaters so that you would have the person on the bottom of the floor and it literally is like a theater where the seats go up mm-hmm. so you can, everybody can see what's going on like and they start... seating. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you have some of the first anatomical theaters in Bologna of 1595, also known as Bologna, and Paris, we oui, oui, Paris, 1604. We're going to go visit that one. Yeah. In the wintertime. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. So the U.S. starts down similar path, and in 1832, the U.S. passes the, in- the Anatomy Act, and it mandates that unclaimed bodies would play a central role in dissection. Um, ignored by many because body snatching and grave robbing is much more profitable and gives you many more bodies. Mm-hmm. So if you got one body, it's $250 in today's money at that time. Yeah. So that's a lot of goddamn money for 1832. And if you're a good grave robber, which I would have been fantastic, I'm sure. Yes. Um, you could snatch a body in about 15 minutes. 
I can't. That's pretty. I can't. That's really fast to be able to dig Did that hole. Did you watch the John Wayne Gacy tapes? No. All right. So everybody knows John Wayne Gacy buries all these bodies under his house. And, you know, they, they go under, they find the first body and they're like, okay, we're going to have to dig. So these cops are there in just jeans and t-shirts, mm-hmm. long sleeve, in regular gloves, mm-hmm. pulling these bodies out, yeah. decayed. Right. So one guy's like, this one victim is, he's in there. Mm-hmm. It's like, and we're pulling, we're pulling. Uh-oh. Can't do it. He goes, so I had to stick my fingers through the skin and uh-huh. latch on to his ribcage uh-huh. in just his regular gloves and clothes no. and yank the body out. No. He's like, it was so gratifying to finally pull, let this poor guy out. But I'm like, I don't. There's not enough I, alcohol in this I, world to exactly. dump my body. I would love to know the mental state. Uh, of these guys these after things, I know. because you know they all they show you is i mean they show you some of the things but you can't tell really what you're looking at but they show they numbered every gravesite, and you just see flags of numbers and i was like that must have been awful fucking horrific anyway so yeah that's so they were good body snatchers so that leads to the anatomy riot of 1788 i know that the dates are a little off here but the anatomy riot of 1788 happens in april of 1788 so you get a med student, he's in the New York hospital and he's dissecting a body in a lab. Mm-hmm. The window's open. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of kids are looking in the window, watching him dissect this body. Kids are sick. Because kids are sick. I, I would have been right there. Yeah, I'm looking in the window. Well, what are you doing? So yeah. as a joke, the guy, <laughs> the med student picks the hand up and he's like, this is your mother's arm. I just dug her up. <laughs> the kids go running home. One of the kids' mother happened to have just died. Oh my God. So he tells his dad, he was working on mom. <laughs> Father's like, bullshit. They go to the grave. They dig mom up. There's no mom in the grave. So the father's now pissed. And they're pissed because the daver- cadavers are usually coming from the poor, the mentally ill, or convicts. So the poor masses feel like they're being exploited. Mm-hmm. And the father's like, bullshit. He gets a crowd together and they storm New York Hospital. The doctors and the anatomists take off. They see the crowd coming. They take off. One of them's hiding in the chimney. Of the, oh my of the lab. They break into the building. They smash an equipment. They're bringing cr- equipment out into um, the streets. They're setting stuff on fire. If they find any bodies, they're reburying them. I don't even know if they know who these people right, are, but they're reburying them. them. And overnight, the few hundred people that storm become a few thousand. So they march on what at the time was Columbia College, today is Columbia University. Mm-hmm. Alexander Hamilton is actually on the steps begging them not to destroy the building. They're like, fuck you. They go in, they destroy the building. New York Mayor James Dwayne jails um, all the doctors because it's the only building in the town that's strong enough to get the safe, crowds out. Yeah. So 5,000 people are outside the jail building uh, in windows calling, quote, bring out your doctors. Y-E-R, your. Uh, the mayor calls in the militia. He, they're all calling for peace. They're trying to calm the, cod, the crowd down. They have none of it. They're throwing bricks. They're throwing rocks. They're smashing windows. Revolutionary war hero Baron von Steuben hmm. is on the steps trying to calm the mob down, but he gets beamed in the head with a brick. So as he's beamed and he's going back, he tells the mayor, like, you got to fire on this crowd. All the militia here is, is you got to fire. And they open up on the fucking crowd. Hmm. Uh, they fire in and they open up and they kill about 20 people. Oh, 20 more bodies for the lab. Yeah. So 17 anatomy riots take place before the Civil War. Connecticut, Boston, Cleveland, in Philly, all see riots. Mm-hmm. Then they pass quote unquote bone bills, which again allows medical schools access to unclaimed bodies. So by 1832, philosopher Jer- Jeremy Bentham, founder of utilitarianism, is the first person in history to donate his body to science. Thinking everybody else is going to be like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Nobody does. Yeah. By 1968, the Uniform Anatomical Act is passed to protect whole body donors and their families. There's informed consent now in body donation. By 2012, the International Federation of Associations of Anatomists, F-I-I-F-A-A, published recommendations for donation of willed bodies and for an end to other ethically controversial policies, saying basically if there's unclaimed bodies, they don't necessarily get donated to science. Um... With all of this in place, people donating, and there are, I mean, we have a friend whose parents are going to donate their bodies, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. There is still a huge need for cadavers for medical research. It is still a problem. 
Uh, New York City medical schools are 80 bodies short of the 300 they needed. Countries where the religious beliefs are really strict or their cultural beliefs are really mm -hmm. tight, there's no cadavers at all. So that's just creating a red market, which means people are going right back to the resurrection days. They're digging bodies up and selling them to medical schools. Mm -hmm. So on that note, think about donation. Yeah. And Sparkles is going to tell you what happens when you donate. I am. Um, all right. So first of all, there's the American Association of the Tissue Banks. This association provides accreditation for institutions that can accept whole body donations. So if you are interested in donating your body, find one that is accredited by American Association of Tissue Banks. They I'm going to Google out, it tomorrow. Yeah. That's my first thing. They put out, If you go to that website, it lists every single place that you can donate that's accredited. Mm -hmm. They they make sure that there's like policies and procedures of taking care of the human body donations. done respectfully. It's done Within this certain procedures you have to do, there's certain things you have, like everything is kosher. Um, they, the Association of Tissue Banks vets the donations. So if you, if I wanted to donate my body, but I have hep C, I can't. Okay. It's for the safety because they're learning. It's not yeah. like. You don't want to get cut. Right. Get so infected. any communicable, communicable diseases. Um, if you're severely overweight or you're severely underweight, they might not take the body. Really? Yeah. But age doesn't matter. So you could be 99, you can be 9, you can donate your body to science because you still learn from a 99-year-old. Don't eat my nuts, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, donations are used like for a bunch of different research. Um, I'll get into exactly what they research, but they're used by medical students for anatomy lessons. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, according to last week, they used at nursing schools. Who knew? I know. I think it was our last... I was wondering, like, I remember hearing that. Like, that must have been last week's episode. Yeah, the email. Yeah. She used the body. Yeah, I didn't say I got a pig. Um, They can be used for research, like, for robotic surgery, um, heart valve transplants, uh, laser treatment for acne. They teach um, anesthesiologists how to give blocks, like pain blocks. Um, interesting. Because you can see exactly what mm -hmm. you're doing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, That's really... Yeah, I mean, if you skinned it away, you'd be able to see all right. the muscles and everything they need to go through. Yep. The Department of Defense also uses bodies for impact testing of new technology to see what actually happens to it. You can use a dummy, but if you use a human body, you're going to see what actually That's happens to the human disturbing. body. That's a little disturbing. It is. So I know I, they need to know, but that is a little disturbing. I saw this thing, which I'm not, I literally, I must have been on TikTok today or something. I don't know how true it is because it was on TikTok, but this man donated his mother's body to science and then found out it was used for like an impact testing <laughs> At the Department of Defense. I guess if he hated it. And I think he, so no, he it. donated it for like Alzheimer's research or something, Ooh. which you can't, you can't specifically you can't. do no, that. It's going where when it's going. When you donate your body for science, you can't say it has to be used for Alzheimer's research. You could do it and hope that it is, but right. it's not always going to be. But um, anyways, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just saw that. Wow. For all they know, they, they could have taken the brain for that and then still use the body. Right. Right. Um, a lot of people donate their bodies to science. Well, a lot of the a lot of the drive for donations is funerals are wicked expensive. Like the average cost of a funeral is $8,755 and the average cost of a cremation is $6,260. So if you have no money, yeah, that's a lot of money to spend to bury somebody. So if you donate the body, they do whatever, you know, whatever research they're doing it's on free. it. They cremate them and send you their ashes. So they are being cremated, but you're yeah. not paying anything. Um, But just some people just really good people they love science they yeah. want people to learn and they're going to donate their body um you can pledge your body to any of these um institutions anytime like i could go tomorrow to one of these accredited places and say you know i want to donate my body and they will you know start screening you then and make sure you're okay and then they i think they keep touch with you and then when now, you die i don't know if you know the answer to this because yeah. i know organ donation used to be this way but if you decided you wanted to donate, but your spouse or your kids are like, no, we don't want that. Can they change it? I don't know. I think this, I think they tell you to put it like in your will, to put it in your. So it in, can't get changed. Right. Like, okay. so this is what I want. I think more because it's not um, like with organ donation, they withdraw care or whatever. No. All right. This Do you know what I'm saying? This, dead. you're already, you're yeah. dead, dead, dead. So. Um, <laughs> you're not just dead. You're there's dead, not dead, a question. Dead. You're very dead. <laughs> Um, and you can also, if you do want to do organ donation, you can do your organ donation. And then after they take your organs, whatever institution you pledged your body to will then come take your body. Mm -hmm. So you can donate your organs and then your whole body after the organ donation. 
um, they won't tell you exactly what they did with the body, but you'll get a letter saying like your mother, um, helped with research, you know, in defense, <laughs> right. Um, training, education, right. you know, whatever, but they don't say like, we did this to your mother's, we which I think is with a RPG. I think, I think that's a, you don't need to know all the no, details. No, you don't. No. Um, so research bodies are used for anatomy and physiology labs and education, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and dementia research, craniomaxillofacial surgical technology. Yeah. Dental surgery training and device development, drug therapies, EMT training, resident training, minimally invasive surgical technology, musculoskeletal um, advancements, neurosurgery, orthopedic device technology, otolaryngology, pain management. That would be like your blocks and stuff. Um, robotic cardiac and thoracic surgical training, sports medicine development, and transplant surgery advancement. So it, it is very important that they need these bodies. Yeah, I mean, even though it was sketchy the way they were getting them back in the day, that's how medicine got to where it was. Right. You need these, you needed cadavers to work on. You can't work on live people. Right. And they, well, I mean, yeah, you want them to work on dead people before they start right. working on live people. But I remember when we would do gastric bypasses, we used to do them open. Mm-hmm. The whole gastric bypass was open. Big huge incision it was a huge surgery huge recovery and now we do them laparoscopic and robotically and i remember doing them open and the surgeon saying they were in the labs with the pigs learning how to do it laparoscopically yeah then i think they would do the pigs and then cadavers cadavers and then they go on to um that's the only way you don't want them practicing on a real live human no it just is not a good it's not a good scenario so i mean they need they need it's, practice. They it need feels practice. weird to say that, like, oh, I'm giving my body to science, but it is, I mean, it's for the advancement. It's how oh. we yeah. figure out how to make better prosthetics, make yeah. better, pro- uh, you know, rods and things like that for the bones. It's the way we figure out well, how do we fix Parkinson's. Right. I mean, I remember watching a surgery, you're talking, it had to be 1995, and they were putting stimulators in the brain mm-hmm. for somebody who had tremors from mm-hmm. Parkinson's. Now... It's like an everyday it's procedure. It's constant. We do it all the time. And I was like, I watched them do the first one of those. And right. now it's everybody's doing it, yeah. you know? So, yeah, it's got to start somewhere. Yeah, you got to, you need them. It feels like a weird thing. It's a weird it's, thing to talk about. It's a good about, thing but to it do. Is, it is a very, it's a very nice thing. It's a noble, benevolent thing to do. I yes. don't know if I could do it, but it is a very noble act. Yes. Um. So then you can also donate your body for forensic reasons all right if i was gonna donate it would be forensics know, you well, know that I know. <laughs> so dr william bass opened the first body farm i have two different dates one said 1971 and one said 1980 i have no idea eh, back then in the 70s 80s yeah. um it was called the university of texas anthropology facility he understood there was a huge need for research into human decomposition police he was a forensic um Pepper. anthropologist which they study human tissue mm-hmm. and how it decays for crimes. Um, for whatever, yeah, crimes, I guess. Um, so police were continually calling him to look at things at crime scenes because they hadn't, they didn't know. They right. were like, what's going on here? What, why does he look like this? Does this mm-hmm. mean this? And he's like, people, they need to know this stuff. This is very important for their job. So he opens up this um, anthropology facility. It became known as a body farm after somebody wrote like a book like a fictional book mm-hmm. about this and called it the body farm. So now that is where the nickname the body farm oh. comes from. I mean, you're not really farming bodies. No, you're not farming bodies. <laughs> you're not growing them in the fields. No. Um, so it started out like as a really small area with one body. Like there was one body in this little small area. <laughs> one bastard who didn't get claimed. Yeah. It turned into a three acre complex with about 40 bodies on it at a time. Imagine getting lost and ending up on no. that complex no. and be like, not Nish! even, no. So, like, so oh, it's I... like an honest to God corn maze, yeah. haunted corn I maze. I died and went to be fucking something. Yeah. <laughs> when he first started this, he got bodies from medical examiner's offices that were unclaimed. unclaimed. Yep. Um, now people can donate their bodies to these facilities. Right. These, speci- you know, I, I can wanna- see people being like kind of a little twerked in the head and being like, I'm giving it to forensic science. I would do that. Yeah. Or if you, I could see it even if like, God forbid you, you knew somebody like who was murdered, murdered and mm-hmm. found and you're like, you know what? If my body's going to help you find somebody else or help you find someone's killer or help yep. you, you know, discover remains and can say, this is definitely your remain. Like I'll do it, you know? Um, but he used to get them from the medical examiner. Now people donate them. Like I said, 
Um, they won't take bod- bodies with communicable diseases. They are laying in the ground, yeah, decomposing. They, they yes. don't contaminate anything. There are now five body farms in the U.S. There's the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, the original one. Um, Western Carolina University, Texas State University, Sam Houston State University, and California University of Pennsylvania. Uh, which I don't. <laughs> I guess that's in Pennsylvania? I'm assuming. Okay. Um, the largest is the Texas University. It's about seven acres. I guess when they were putting, they would develop- Texas has the room to spare. Right. Everything's bigger. Yeah. Um, when they were developing that one, I believe, like people that lived around, they were like, absolutely not. You're not just going to have dead bodies laying outside. The coyotes they- are bringing an arm in yeah, the yard. And they would like suggest this spot. And people were like, no, they're going to, you know, that's yeah. too close. I'm going to smell it. Or they bring it here. And, you know, they're like, no, we're going to see heads like on the way to school or whatever. <laughs> so it's in like- I think the whole thing might be like seven acres and it's the farm. It's the farm. The facility itself is like in the middle of that, like mm-hmm. a mile away from everything on every so edge. So if anything accident, oh, they can't accidentally get it, right? It's no. So they do like, um, some of them just have like big, huge protective fences. Like I think it depends on where they are too. Mm-hmm. But like that one, I think they put like cages around the body. So, right, so coyotes yeah. can't drag them anywhere. Birds of prey can't drag them anywhere. Could you imagine looking up and you see like an eagle? He's got like a thigh in his yeah, mouth. No, like I can't no even fucking imagine. Um, so when the bot when the facilities receive a body, you know they tag them. They're documented. This is Laura Dennison. She's you know whatever. Um, they're refrigerated until they're used. They're handled. There's policies and procedures yeah. for this. It's, they're not thrown around. It's a very scientific experiment. Um, I don't throw away. I just picked them like hoist one over yeah. their shoulder and be like, here we go. Yeah. They're like plotted like this one is going on this grid. Grid three. Yes. Yeah. Like they know exactly where that body is. Um, it's what the very, conditions are around it's it. Very sci- it's a whole, the whole thing is a science experiment. It's right. very scientific. Um, and even just the tagging and the putting that person there and whatever. Mm-hmm. All of that helps um, teach the um, chain of custody. Like mm-hmm. every single thing there is a learning uh, yes. experience. Um, yeah, that helps with the chain of custody. So the body farms allow scientists, FBI, law enforcement, to learn how a body decays and how to find a body that's decaying. How to find, like, the body, when it decays, affects the environment around it. Entire, like, species of, like, bugs live and die if there's a body there. Like, it's oh. bizarre. Um, like all of a sudden they'll be like, oh yeah, this insect is now here populating this. There must be a dead body. Like I, like not to get back to the John Wayne Gacy tapes, but it was really fucking good. The guy was looking for the bodies and he's like, I'm looking and these red worms mm-hmm. are present. He goes, I've never seen worms like this in my life. Yeah. He goes, and as soon as I put my flashlight on them, they went back in the ground. He's like, they had to be something there because I've never seen anything like this yeah. before. He's like, there had to be a body there. I was like, oh yeah. They said there's literally like like these different insects that will only appear if there's a dead body they're like oh whatever oh and then they God. die when that body's so far out yeah. disgusting um the bo- insects are gross i know the decaying body also affects like the vegetation around it like the gastric juices kill off flora and like <sighs> so they can tell if a body had been there because of how the vegetation's gonna look <laughs> like even it. if you go somewhere and you're like oh i don't see a body but they can be like yeah but see this this is because there was a body here. i, I like, can handle a lot but we're get, this is getting gross yeah. <laughs> um it allows scientists to examine bones so if they can learn what this woman's bone looks like now they know like okay this body's probably a woman because of x y and z or right. this body's probably a black man because of xyz this mm-hmm. body's probably an asian woman you know like i mm-hmm. this body's a child under the age of eight this body's like they they can they get know. so specific because they've studied what the bones and the insides of these bodies look like um they see they study skin changes the peeling of the skin um bloating when that occurs when that mm-hmm. goes away like all of these things um appearance of maggots on the body like how long does that mean it's been there for they learn like there's so much they learn from these bodies. I'm assuming they're submerging them as well. Well, so each facility studies different things kind of. So Tennessee, they have, they do decomposition under all circumstances, buried, unburied, underwater, in the trunk of a car. Like they do them under like every circumstance. Western Carolina, it places emphasis on the decomposition in the mountains. Um, Texas provides regional specific data like decomposition in desert. 
Like, so they learn different things from the different areas. I think Tennessee is more elaborate. They put the bodies in very different situations. Right. Um, I already said, like, some have the fences around them. Some have cages around the bodies. All of them are highly secured. You cannot just stumble upon these farms. <laughs> It'd be awful. Yeah. Well, it's, and again, it's scientific, so they can't. Because right. if I could just get in there, the I'm going to disrupt everything. You're not going to learn anything. Um, the, the These facilities have helped with many investigations, like, I mean, a million. Mass graves in Iraq, Kosovo, Rwanda. They could determine the times of the death of these people in these mass graves, which mass graves are huge I mean, you could and they could be from like last right. year this year next year you know it's 100 years ago right. um so they can determine the times of the death the race of the people which also helps them determine who, who killed them, them mm-hmm. because based on their race um and how they were killed if they were shot if they wow. were you know hit over the head if yeah. whatever they can determine all that stuff so they know who's in these graves and who's doing this um john wayne gacy killed 33 men 29 were buried under his house. Forensic anthropologists identified badly decomposed, yeah. stacked, but they were stacked on top of each other. Like three deep. Yeah. So it's not like, it's easy to be like, okay, that guy's this one and that mm-hmm. guy's this one. But they could establish the height and weight of those bodies. So that helped identify them based on their There's families. still like six of them are unclean. Well, the, if they had their information, like if, you know, you were like, oh my my son is missing, like, blah, right. blah, you had his, they could be like, yes, this was him, you know, so. Right. Um, and then it, it even helped on a cold case from 1933. Seven-year-old Dalbert uh, mm-hmm. was found floating in the San Diego Bay in 1933. Wow. An autopsy at that time said he um, was sodomized and mutilated. Oh. No one was ever arrested. They reopened this case in 2005. And now with all this knowledge from these body farms and stuff, the medical examiner found he had just simply drowned. If the original examiner didn't know what happened to a body that when was decomposing in water. Wow. So they thought from murder all for of this, right. Like all, you know, probably the way it affected right. that area looked terrible, but right. that's just how that area is affected when it's decomposing in water. So they were like, no, that nothing ever happened. This kid just drowned. So it was just, um, it's just amazing what right. they've learned from these body farm so if you are interested in that watch forensic files you'll see what they learn yeah, from these body farms you can donate you can donate your body to any of to any of those five schools oh and you can pledge it now and i have to rethink now Laura. they'll come get your body for, after your funeral because oh. you can be you know you can you can have a funeral and stuff they i think they tell them you know don't do this don't do that but interesting yeah so you can donate your body to any of those five schools <laughs> well comma we recorded this actually like a week ago and mm. it didn't actually make it to tape so i had covered a different person i was going to cover hh H. holmes mm-hmm. at that time but hh H. holmes got very convoluted and i don't know he bored me so i moved to a different serial killer who actually i think has more to do with body farms than um hh H. holmes did and unless you have been living in isolation for the past 30 years you would have heard of ed gein mm-hmm um, but for people who have not heard of Ed Gein, we're going to briefly discuss Ed Gein. But as you've heard me say in other podcasts, if you want a deep dive of Ed Gein, listen to last podcast on the left. They do a deep dive mm-hmm. of the craziness of Ed Gein, which I kind of feel bad for Ed Gein. He's kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. And you'll see why. Okay. He is born in 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. That's his first place. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah. All right. His dad is George Gein. His mother is Augusta. He has a brother, Harry. Those are the kids. Parents hate each other. Like, with a passion. But because of their strict religious beliefs, they're never getting a divorce. Father is a raging alcoholic. And the mother is a religious fanatic. She runs a small grocery store and she buys a house out in the very isolated country out in Plainville, Wisconsin. She picks this location specifically because it's so isolated. So it's a big farm. Out in the middle of nowhere. Excuse me. And she does this because she doesn't want anybody influencing her boys. She wants to be the only influence on her boys. Never good. Never. Never. Good. You there's a recipe for yep. disaster. So they are only allowed to leave. The boys are only allowed to leave the house to go to school. And Ed's kind of a weird kid. He's tiny. He's effeminate. Um, he's ideal for bullying. Mm-hmm. Like, and he would laugh 
to himself. He was very weird. Mm -hmm. Nice kid, but weird. So when they're not in school, they're doing chores. Um, and when they're not doing chores, the mom is preaching to them about, quote, the immor immorality of the world, evils of drinking, and the belief that all women, except her, are prostitutes and no. instruments of the devil. All women. All women, yeah. excluding Augusta. Of obviously. Are instruments of the devil. Awful people. Uh, should have daily readings of the Bible, selecting graphic verses from the Old Testament dealing with death, murder, and um, divine retribution. She was, she was a wonderful woman. That sounds like a lot of fun at that house. So all of this makes Ed a huge bully target. I told you he's weird, he's small, he's effeminate, off-putting mannerisms, laughs weirdly. Mm -hmm. uh, and to boot, any friends he did make, his mother would scold him for making. Like, how dare you make friends? You can't have anybody else. I'm the only person in your life, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. When you get in, when when you listen to last podcast and look, they really get into her. Mm -hmm. There's some weird shit going on in that house. Yeah. And it's not covered. I got this information from Murderpedia. There's weird shit going on in that house. Mother is really pleased by anything that the boys do. Um, so they're constantly striving for her um, approval. They don't get it. And she beats the shit out of them, mm -hmm. basically on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. In 1940, his dad dies. And the boys work odd jobs around town to help bring money into the house. Um, Ed's a handyman, and he also babysits for neighbors. Mm. He really liked the kids mm. because he got along with kids better. Mm. Um, at one point, the older brother, Henry, starts to realize his mother's a complete fucking nut job. Mm. And he is voicing this daily to Ed and to the mother. You're nuts. This is ridiculous. I don't like you. Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. May 16th, 1944. There's a brush fire around the house. The boys are sent out to extinguish this brush fire. Um, they get the fire out, but Henry's missing. Henry is missing. So Ed reports Henry missing to the police. They create a search party. Ed is leading the search party. Ed leads them directly to Henry's body. Like, no miss. Boop, there's Henry. Weird. Mm -hmm. Henry is, he's got bruises on his head, bruises on his face, and everything around him is untouched by fire. But they deem it asphyxiation from the fire hmm. everybody's pretty sure ed killed his brother because he was pissed about what he was saying about the mother yeah. but he never gets charged for this um doo -doo -doo. many believe he killed his brother but no charges are ever filed and it is ruled death as asphyxia gene and quote-unquote mother are allowed to live alone till her death of december 29th 1945 where after a series of strokes she bites the dust okay. Gein states he lost his only friend and one true love. Oh. And he is absolutely alone in the world. Well, because you killed your fucking brother. And she, well, and she made isolated them. Yeah, she yeah. made it that way. So he stays on the farm. He boards up every room she used, which is the entire upstairs. They were, un when they go into this house, years, a few years later, these rooms were untouched. They were exactly as she had left them. I don't like this. He moves downstairs. He sleeps in a room next to the kitchen. That's it. That's the only two rooms he's using. There are pictures of the rooms. I nope, not want to okay. see them. So, <clears throat> November sixteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, Bernice Warden, a hardware store um, owner, she goes missing. Mm -hmm. Her son reports that Ed Gein was in the store that evening, and he said, "I'll come back in the morning for antifreeze." So there's a sales re receipt for the antifreeze. <laughs> Rewind. A sales receipt for the antifreeze written by his mother with Ed Gein's name on it mm -hmm. the day she goes missing. So the police are like, well, let's go check old Gein property out there in Plainville, Wisconsin. These poor policemen. These poor policemen. Oh. They drive out to the Gein farm. They go out to the barn. And there's old Bernice hanging by her feet. <gasps> her arms tied to the ground. Decapitated. <gasps> Gutted like a deer and dressed out like a deer. Like fucking splayed out. They must have shit when they saw them. Why? Who knows why. But that's what he does to poor Bernice. Um, he had shot her and then he completely mutilates the body. Uh -huh. right. So the police go into the house and start looking around. Now let's start with the house was filthy. I the assume. rooms that he lived in. Hoarding... Filthy, just filthy. Mm. Hear that? That's mm. the list of what we find in the house. Are you ready? Oh. Buckle up. <clears throat> Four noses. Ah! What? 
Omar, that's that's what you stop four fucking, noses. That's fucking nothing. Wait till I get going. Oh my god, who still had four noses? Four noses, whole human bones and fragments, nine masks of human skin. Ah! So there are <laughs> oh nine faces fucking stapled to the wall. Ah! <laughs> Bowls made from human skulls. Oh Jesus. Ten female heads with the top sawed off. What? Human skin as seed covers. Ew. A woman, Mary Hogan's head in a paper bag. Why? Bernice Warden's head was in a burlap sack. Nine vulvas in a shoebox. What? Nine vulvas. If you don't know what a vulva is, it's a vagina. There were nine. Nine? Why would I know why he put nine vulvas in a shoebox? Nine. Skulls on his bedpost, and they have a picture of the bed, and each bedpost has a full skull on it. Oh, God. Uh, organs in the refrigerator. Very Jeff- Jeffrey Dahmerish. This is my favorite. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, because it's so fucking gross. A pair of lips were used as the drawstring on the shade. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Could you imagine being the cops? No. A belt made from human nipples. No. Mm-hmm. A nipple belt. No. You can you can Google if you no. if you're as sick as I am, you can Google the nipple belt. It's there. No. A lampshade made from the skin of a human face. Oh. Um, and that was the gist of it. Yeah, that's my favorite list ever. But it was that is disgusting. disgusting. It was disgusting. And they show you the chair. Like you can Google the pictures of no. Edgine's Who house. does this? Don't I, do that. I did it. Don't do I that. I did it. I Don't saw the chairs. Do it. I didn't see the human faces, but you can see the bowls, the skull bowls. The skulls on the bedpost. You can see the nipple belt. I didn't see the vulvas in the box or the noses. All right. So they start questioning Henry. Uh, you think? Old Ed Gein, like, Ed, what the fuck, dude? So he says, well, from 1947, just after Mother died, to 1952, he'd made about 40 night visits to the local graveyard where he'd dig up the bodies. Um, what? He was like in a daze and he'd go to the graveyard and he'd dig up the bodies. Also on this list should be he had a skin suit. Blech. So he had sewn like uh, a vest with boobies, boobies on it. Because it's Halloween is why I'm saying boobies. Boobies. Um, so yes, he uh, he has a skin suit. I forgot to add that to the list. So he'd go in this days and he would wake up in the graveyard in the days. So about 30 of these visits, nothing. Other the visits, he's bringing the bodies home. So he went after deceased women that reminded him of his mother. Oh my, oh my God. He was trying to get back to his mother. No. Um, he used their skins for different paraphernalia. He admitted to robbing nine graves in one night. And they're like, there's no fucking way you robbed nine graves in one night. And then they go and look. And all the graves he said were empty were fucking empty. Because these people are now displayed in his house. Shortly after his mom's death, he, um, he's, he wants to have a sex change. He wants to now become a woman. And he starts to make a woman's suit, like I said. So it's, it was, you can see the, you can see the skin suit if you really want no, to. No, do not do that. Do not do you that. You can Google it. Don't Google uh, it. He denies having sex with the bodies because, quote, they smelled too bad. Yeah, no fucking shocker, dude. Um, oh, he did least, admit. I mean, at least that's that. Well, the, the Mary Hogan, whose head was found in a paper sack, not, not to be confused with Bernice in the burlap, burlap sack. sack. He shot her in 1954. Um, he did admit shooting her. And I believe both of these women strongly resembled his mother. Mm-hmm. So during a confession, fucking Art Shiley, a wash, I can't even say the county, county sheriff, slams Ed Gein's face <gasps> into the wall. Fucking loses it. Slams his face into the he's wall. he's sick. Well, Ed is sick. Yeah. But he literally is sick in yeah. the head. You know, he's he's his mother fucked him up beyond no, belief. Yes, yeah. he's, yes. So this confession is now inadmissible because you beat the shit out of him. Um he clearly confesses again. So on November twentieth, nineteen fifty seven, he's arraigned and he enters a plea of not guilty for reason of insanity. He is found unfit to sit, stand trial and he is sent to Central State Hospital for the criminally insane, and then he's transferred to Mendota State Hospital. 1968, the doctors determine he is complete, completely competent to stand trial. So on November 14th, 1968, he stands trial for first-degree murder, and he's found guilty by a judge, and he's basically sent back to the psych facility for the rest of his life. Okay. March 20th, 1958, Ed Gein's house burns to the ground. Shocker. Good. When they tell him, dude, somebody burnt your house to the ground, he's like, no, 
bound to happen. <laughs> 1958, the car he used to ship the bodies back and forth is sold at auction for $715, which today would be about $5,000. And it's used at carnivals where he would charge 25 cents a get to go look at the car that he shipped. Oh, God. Yep, yep. You would do that. I would. I would. They had Bonnie and Clyde's car on display, too, full of bullet holes. They would pour, and if you're talking like the 50s and shit, they bought weird shit for carnivals. I could see Bonnie and Clyde, but the, no, not Ed Gein's. Ed Gein's Deathmobile, come on. No, Some people pay for that shit all day long. Uh, clearly they did. I know. Um, July 26, 1984, he dies. Yeah. And he's buried in Plainville Cemetery. Hmm. His grave is frequently vandalized. People are chipping off parts of the stones to have a memorabilia of Ed Gein. It's really fucking weird. It is. In uh, 2000, the whole gravestone is completely stolen. Oh my God. Oh, Ed. I do feel bad for Ed. I mean, he only killed two women. Only? Only. But they were probably overbearing battle axes like his mother. Well, it doesn't mean you kill them. No. I don't think you should dress him like a deer in your shed. But... No. <laughs> so in 2001, they recovered his uh, tombstone and he is... The, the tombstone is now in a museum. Ed Gein's story has influenced Norman Bates in Psycho, Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. and most notably, Buffalo uh, Bill, yeah. Silence of the Lambs, making his skin suit. In 2010, there was a musical. Ed Gein, the musical. Oh my God. How you fucking make that into a musical? It's pretty goddamn creative, I'll tell you. That's what. disgusting. I'm dressing her up like a deer. That's Out disgusting. in my shed. Yeah, so if you get into Murderpedia or any other thing, there is more into this story. Um, that's a very obviously basic overview of the story because they get into why he did what he did, his sexual appetite about it, and blah, 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 blah. When you see pictures of Ed Gein, he's just some poor tiny little old man doing this weird shit. Um, somebody had a story where, like, kids, God, why would you do this shit? They would take kids trick-or-treating at the psych facility. Where Ed what? Gein, yep, where Ed Gein was at. And Why all, would you take your kids I to I don't a, know. It's not even just like it's a, a psych hospital. It's for the criminally mm -hmm. insane. People did weird shit back in the day. And one of them was like, you know, they asked Ed what he thought. And he's like, mm, yeah, keep him away from me. I don't like Halloween or something weird. He, it was some story I'd heard. And I was like, oh, Ed. Ed, Ed, Ed. So Ed Gein is one of like the first stories of American history that people heard of fucked up shit, mm. you know, cause following Ed Gein comes Ed Kemper and Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and all those other crazy, Jeff Dahmer, all those other crazy psychopaths. So I just thought that is a little flavor for the Halloween episode. Yeah. Dancing in the moonlight right? in the graveyards and your skin suit. Digging up bodies mm -hmm. and skinning them. Saving the vulvas for later. That is why. Why? What are you doing with the vulva? Why do you using the lips as a shade? I mean, there's going to be a better thing you could have be, done like, with the lips, like a bottle opener. Out, though, like I can't even fathom. I don't know. They would tie it up there, bare lips. Uh, like I said, just imagine. I mean, this is 1958. This shit is unheard of. Imagine being those cops going in and yeah, being like, "That's off." Oh, there's there's lips in the window. Yeah, because you must be like looking for things and then being like, "Oh no, I have to look everywhere." Yeah. Oh, because no, there's yeah. lips on the mm -hmm. pole for the yeah, window. There, there's a box full of vaginas. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. So we have one email that had come in. Mm -hmm. that I'm going to read. Mm -hmm. um, hello from Wichita, Kansas. Nice. Home of BTK. Mm. I'm so glad I found your podcast. I am a newcomer, so I have started from the beginning and I'm working my way up. It's the only way to listen to this mm, podcast. Good luck. You can listen however you want, but I prefer from the beginning <laughs> to end. I love it. I love your content. It's so relatable and quote, laugh out loud funny. Oh. I know. I'm a I think I'm a laugh out loud. Oh. I have been a scrub tech for 10 years now, and I am almost done with nursing school. Good for you. I'm glad you went back. Mm -hmm. December 2022, baby! Nice. point. That's right around the corner when Not you get month. this episode okay. out. Yeah. You are almost done, love. I can't imagine working anywhere else. I absolutely love the OR. That being said, would you advise venturing out to other departments? Question mark. During my clinicals, I have felt so out of my element. I have no desire to work on the floor, and although I can picture myself working in the ICU, I don't think I can handle working nights. I don't know. I work in the OR. I work a lot of nights. I know. I think if you work in like a small place, yeah, that's just on call. My ultimate goal is to get my APRN, which is advanced practice to RN, and work for a surgeon in the OR. I just don't know if that would make a difference or make me a more competitive candidate for that line of work. Thanks for all you do and for bringing a much needed laugh to my drive home after a long day of work and school. 
And thank you for bringing a spotlight to OR nursing slash scrubbing. It is always forgotten and there isn't enough recognition for the important work we do and stresses that we deal with on a daily basis. Hashtag full bladder, hashtag empty stomach. Amen. Sincerely, Eden. Oh, Eden, that's a tough question. Yeah, I did a a year. I was a scrub. We both scrub techs and we both went to nursing school. I did like a year and a half on the floor and I did like PD and med surge. Um, The only reason I went to nursing school was to come back to the OR. So I never, I've never left the OR. I knew I wanted to be in the OR, but I, I kind of, it was like one of those things like you feel like you have to do Mm -hmm. it. Well, my nursing instructor was like, you have to do it. But if I'm coming back to the OR, why? Why? I'm not using any of those skills. No, it doesn't. I don't think it doesn't. It no. doesn't help you if you're going to be an on Earth, but if you are ever going to do something else, it will help you. Right. You and know. I don't know how old you are. I'm going to assume you're somewhere in your 30s, early 30s, maybe, only because you've already been a tech for 10 mm-hmm. years. So I highly suggest if you aren't married, you don't have kids, and you have the freedom to try something different, I would try something different. And then you're going to know if you definitely want to go back to the OR, or you can always leave. I mean... Right, you don't have to stay in that job just because right. you take a job. You can always go back to the OR, so I don't think it hurts to try it, but I, I don't think it helps you as an OR nurse. Right, so if you're going because you think you're going to be a better OR nurse, that would be the reason, but no. if you want to just see if you might like something other than the OR, I would definitely try it. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to try it. Right. But you can I always mean, get a job. I had a friend who was a scrub tech for almost 11 years, and she left, and she went to the floor for 17 years, Yeah. and now she's coming to the PACU. I mean, she's a little closer to home, but... She's going to, she's starting in the PACU. And so I thought she'd be back in no time. And she, nope, she loved being on the floors for a while. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I sometimes regret that I didn't try something different. But by the time I had finished nursing school, I was, I had just got married. I was pregnant when I took the boards mm-hmm. and I wasn't going anywhere. I just, I knew floor nursing wasn't for me. I, I just knew it wasn't. Um, so I, I would suggest trying something else. If you want, I, as far as APRN, we don't use them where we, we work in a teaching hospital. We don't use them. And I don't know what it looks like in smaller hospitals. I haven't been one in 25 years. Yeah. Um, I would get to the OR first. If if you decide to go back to the OR, get to the OR first and decide from there. I mean, just start getting your practice as a nurse before you start looking to do another step. I think that's just a, that's my personal opinion across the board is, before you go and do these advanced practice things, like work as a nurse, get that, get experience, experience as a nurse under your belt. I don't ha- understand how you could be an advanced practicing nurse if you weren't a nurse to begin with. I'm but gonna, that's my. I'm going to get a lot of flack for my yeah. next comment. I know I am, but I am not a big advocate or fan of these um, programs where you have your bachelor's in fucking music and you're a nurse practitioner in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I Because I feel like you haven't, the experience to be a nurse practitioner yet you barely touched a patient and now you're prescribing and assessing and you don't really have the skills yet yeah so i've never been a big advocate of jumping steps i do believe experience counts for a lot of things Mm -hmm. that might be because i'm an older nurse and i i have an older version of things i don't need a million emails telling me well i did the two-year program and i'm fine i get it and there are people out there working Mm -hmm. at it doing it i just think that the women who have worked on the floors first or worked in the OR first mm-hmm. and then got their advanced degree and whatever, they just have better skills. They I'd just say. have more they skills because they've done it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's hard to diagnose when you've never had to do it and now you're doing it. Mm-hmm. So with no practice. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just, I, I have very strong feelings about that. So the last thing I want to talk about, um, and by the time this comes out, there'll probably be more information, but we had that thing on the news the two nurses shot in Texas. Yeah. All I know is he somehow got on the labor delivery floor. Which is, I mean, where we work, where it's we impossible work. to so, get so on I was it. saying to Brian today, I'm like, I don't know how he got into labor and delivery because nobody in our hospital can get on that floor unless they work on that floor. Yeah, we, we, go we go up for emergencies and we have, we have to, to get stand buzzed there, in. They have to look at us. They yeah. have to check out things. We have to get in there. Um, so I don't know how he got on that floor because, you know, they worry about baby theft. That's right. a big thing. And my heart goes out to the families. My heart goes out to those women. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they probably were just trying to protect their patients somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he was doing up there yet. Yeah, I don't know. And so um, when we get more information, it's definitely another subject we're going to talk about. And I'm hoping there's no copycat with this, that you're going to see other people going in hospitals trying to blow away nurses. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's just a little sad day today thinking of that. I felt bad when I heard that in the news today. 
So I just wanted to yeah. just kind of acknowledge that, yes, we did hear about it and we're not mm-hmm. blind to what's going on up there. Yeah. So. And we got an email from Josh. Oh, yes. Um, And thank you for the email, Josh, and thank you for listening. But we don't think we can talk about that on the air because it was like a little too um, personal, personal, um, like a little too many details or something. But I we hear what you're saying. And if you ever have any question of your, he's a nurse, I think he's a nursing student. If you ever had any concerns about a patient mentally or whatever, you think like, I wonder if this is going on. Say it to your instructor, say it to the nurse you're under. And if you feel like it's being ignored, you can bring it up higher in the hospital. But we, A, we can't diagnose anybody. B, I've, I don't know. But Josh what you're was, saying sounds... Josh had sent us an email referring to somebody he suspected of Munchausen's. He had listened to our Munchausen's episode and he thought maybe somebody he was dealing with had it. Um, Munchausen's goes undetected because many people are afraid to report it because mm-hmm. you don't want to be wrong. But if you have concerns about it, absolutely bring it up to your clinical mm-hmm. instructor. Bring it up to whoever you feel you can bring it up to. They can investigate it. At least you said something. But right. it's not really your place as a student to confront anybody about it. Not that you're no, going but to. definitely bring it to someone's attention. Right. Like don't you... bring it to the patient's attention. Right. Is but what I'm just saying. say to your nurse, hey, listen, this is what's going on, and X, Y, and Z. Like, what are your, th-? you know, and, right, right. This is the... what I see. What do yeah. you think? Or the nurse you're under, you know, the, right. you always have somebody you're under on the floor, and hey, just, you know, it's weird, don't you think? Like X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. see what they say. Maybe they've already looked into it, and you just don't know, or right. whatever. But I would, I would bring it up. I wouldn't ignore it, right. but. So we loved your email, yes. but it's definitely the subject matter was a little sensitive and a little too personal that we felt like we'd put ourselves in a little bit of jeopardy if we read that out loud. Um, so good luck with dealing with that. Yeah, but any anytime you have any weird feeling, say it. Say it. It doesn't, you're not accusing somebody of anything. Mm-hmm. You're just saying like, hey, I have a concern. And any concern you have about a patient. Is a valid concern. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Should be brought up, and you could be like, "Oh, hey, yeah, I, no, we know, we know what you're saying," but ex- right. and they might, and then you might go, "Oh, yeah, no, that's true." Like, right? No, it isn't. They may look at it in like a it. different light and see right. something you're not seeing. Right. Um. Wow. Yeah. There's that episode. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it got recorded and made it to tape. Please God. Um. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We're gonna sit down now and figure out what's coming down in November towards you. Oh boy. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> November's always a struggle. It is. Um. We'll take suggestions. Yeah. Right Email on. us if yeah. you get some good November episode suggestions, but yeah. you got to do it like really soon. Uh, so thank you for listening and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Yep. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs and email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.